This is episode 203 with ultramarathoner, author, and multiple fastest known time record holder, Mr. Damian Hall. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features one of the most inspiring ultra runners out there, someone who's run fastest known times on routes that are more than 250 miles long, Mr. Damian Hall. We're discussing how he transitioned from his first half marathon ever, only 10 years ago, to running for days on end today, the training that he does, and how to know if you're ready for an ultra endurance challenge. If you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and the tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Elemental Labs, for helping me make this episode possible. And they want to gift you a free sample pack. Just pay five bucks for shipping here in the United States. You can get it at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. Sign up for a free sample pack. It has four flavors, eight individual packets. They'll help you optimize your hydration for this summer season. All right, my guest today is one of the UK's best ultra-endurance athletes. Damian Hall has represented Great Britain at the Trail World Championships, holds seven records or fastest known times, has competed in the Sahara Desert and the Arctic, and has only been training for 10 years. We're going deeper into his recent Wainwright coast-to-coast FKT, including his hallucinations, how he prepares for days of running, and what drives someone to run for hundreds of miles. He's also author of the new book, In It for the Long Run, which you can pick up nearly everywhere. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Damian Hall. Damian, welcome to the podcast. I'm so looking forward to speaking with you today. Hi, thanks for having me on. So how are you feeling? I I think you just attempted the Wainwright Coast to Coast FKT, or fastest known time, which I believe is about 190 miles or so. And uh, I think you had a little bit of a rough time. Is that right? <laughs> I had some fun. Yeah. Um, yes, it, I think it ended up being about 185 miles. And it was a record that had stood for, for 30 years, actually, although although we don't know of many people who, who had attempted it. There was a guy called uh, Mike Hartley, uh, who who around thirty years ago set a lot of very good records, including the the Pennine Way one as well. Um, that uh, me and John Kelly have been uh, annoying each other on for for a little while. Um, but yeah, Mike Hartley was was you know is an absolute legend. Has some um, incredible incredible records, some incredible runs. He was also very good. He did very well at sort of the hundred k distance. So he was a genuinely fast runner. Um, he was like fourth in the European Championships and stuff. So yeah, he wasn't just some old sort of tough old warhorse who gutted it out he he had genuine you know speed and running economy um so yeah i had to go after after doing okay on the pen way last year although uh yeah john kelly has since done even better um i wanted to do something similar and this seemed fairly similar and there was a nice symmetry for me that um before i was a runner i was really into um what do you call it there trekking maybe or you know long distance walking like um walking for days a few days at a time I absolutely love that. And and I'd done both the Pennine Way and the uh, Coast to Coast. There probably are two two or three of our sort of more popular long distance trails. I mean, nothing like the trails you have over there, but but obviously our country is a bit smaller. Um, and yeah, a friend mentioned that one and I thought it sounded perfect. Um, and 
as these things tend to go, all started off well. Um, and after after a few hours, I was. Um, I mean, this is this might sound a bit a bit like I was really going for it, but I'm I'm usually fairly conservative with these things. But but after a few hours, maybe five or six hours, I was I was around two hours, two to two and a half hours ahead of ahead of Mike's Hartley's time. So you know, going very well. Although of course, um, always that question mark about whether you're going a bit too fast. But you know, I, I began to naturally slow a bit, um, and the night time was okay, a bit slower. Uh, and then and then the sort of second day came around. So the record was yeah, thirty nine hours. 36 minutes um so basically a day a night and a day um and then uh, about the middle of the sort of morning on the second day I was um started to get really confused about what I was doing <laughs> and um said you know I was questioning my paces quite a bit apparently I can't really remember um I can't remember some of the crew stops which is unusual for me and I started sort of getting confused and, and falling over quite a lot as well or, or at least the people with me were getting aware that I might fall over, so they were stopping me. Um, and what else was I doing? Um, yeah, at one point I tried to sort of remove my mid layer without taking off my jacket and things like that. So I was, yeah, someone said I was behaving like a drunken child. Um, so, and my crew were getting concerned because they've done things like this with me before. It's the same three crew people who who helped me on the Pennine Way, which is longer, you know, another night. Um, you know, I'd gone further without, you know, and been in worse sleep deprivation. And yet I was behaving more weirdly. Um, and I just, I just felt confused. I didn't feel, and I was moving very slowly as well. Um, and I guess, yeah, the, the short version is, I suppose that I, yeah, threw away almost a two and a half hour advantage and, and only beat the record by 18 minutes in the end. But I suppose the more serious part, part was that we're really confident now after speaking to several experts that I managed to get myself into some hyponutremia which is, for those who don't know, is sort of a combination of, uh, well, best understood as overhydration um, and, and usually a bit of low, you know, with low so, so, sodium because, you, yeah, you're sort of, your body's salt is being diluted in the blood by the, by the liquid without enough salt. Um, and I must admit, yeah, I'm a bit embarrassed about it because like you, I'm a coach and I've been doing this for, you know, nearly a decade and never got into this situation before that I know of or, or anything close. Um, and yet, um, well, and the other mysterious thing is when I tell people how much liquid I was drinking, people are surprised because we reckon at the absolute most I was drinking 400 millilitres uh, an hour, including food. Um, but A, everyone's different. B, it was actually really, well, not really, but it was pretty cool, like way below 10 degrees, although in Fahrenheit, I'm not sure what that is. Um, but yeah, sort of almost early spring weather really even though it was sort of almost summer so it was quite cool so I probably wasn't sweating what I'd normally sweat um and I was just consistently taking on we think just a little bit more liquid than than I needed um and maybe in 24 hours I would have got away with that but uh, because it was 39 hours yeah by the end I was a bit I was a bit messed up and I was a bit leaning as well towards the end um and that is actually quite dangerous it probably means <laughs> probably means your brain is swelling um I've spoken to, you know, a few medical experts since. Um, so, but, you know, I don't know how deep you wanted to go into this, but one thing was I was getting some tendonitis on my shin, which is fairly common for me. So I was sort of in my head, I was explaining my slowness as that. And, and people, people were wondering why I was leaning. And I would say, oh, I've got some, a, a slight injury. I'll be okay, but I've got a slight injury. So I was sort of explaining it to myself and other people. So that was throwing them off the scent of what was really happening, you know. So, yeah, I just, yeah, happy to share that because I want people to, be aware of the dangers of overhydration, but um, yeah, a bit embarrassing and a bit, a bit, a bit silly uh, in the end. But luckily, yeah, no real harm done in the long run. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. And yeah, ten degrees Celsius is fifty degrees Fahrenheit, which might be some of the most ideal temperatures to be running in. And and for someone who's so experienced like you to have hyponatremia, uh, that 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 can be really scary. Uh, what was it like to? you know, I'm not sure if you were hallucinating, but you were certainly confused. You weren't really sure, you know, what was going on. You know, you were asking about your pace and, <laughs> you know, which might have been a, a, almost a little humorous if it didn't have the serious side to things. Was this the first time that something like that had happened to you? Yes, absolutely. I've been normally, I'm pretty good at getting dehydrated, which of course is, is, is much safer. Um, but I've got it. Yeah, I'm keen to share this message uh, because 
yeah, the drink to thirst mantra really is really seems to be the safest the safest thing to stick to. And I've spoken today um, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I really tried to analyze this, and I've spoken to someone very senior in sort of sports medicine in, in Britain, part of the Olympic sort of uh, the Olympic sort of team. And she says, yeah, it's got to be drink to thirst. Um, and it's become trendy in the last year or two. And I, I, not trendy, but increasingly I hear sort of drink targets. Um, and, um, and, he, and, and I had a drink target in, in mind, which didn't suit me on that in those conditions. Um, I thought I was perfectly safe as long, you know, as long as I, you know, up to about 500 mils that, that I thought that was perfectly safe for me. I think in other conditions it would have been, but it was, I was you know, it was cool. And it was, well, we, we say 10 degrees, it was all significantly, like it was all below that sort of thing. You know, it was often five, six, seven, eight. Um, but on, And then we're all different. So we, we have different salt rates, uh, salt sweat rates. Um, so yeah, I, I'd like to really reinforce that, that drink to thirst is, is, is the smartest way to approach these things. Um, and I've, yeah, learned, learned that the hard way. Um, in terms of how it feels, yeah, I really had no idea anything was going on. It's not like a, an energy bonk or a heat bonk or, or dehydration even, where you get quite a clear message, I think. Um, you know, you don't have to be that experienced to, to I think, to realise what's happening. Um, this was much more, it was like being drunk, but of course, normally when you're drunk, you think, you, you know, you've been drinking drinking beer or wine, so you've got, a, you know, you've got an indicator. Whereas, um, yeah, I, I had no idea till even a day afterwards where, where I had a doctor in my crew and she said, look, I actually, I really think this happened to you. Um, so yeah, be careful because it, it's quite a sneaky one. It sneaks up on you. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. And then you look very silly in the, in the finished videos as well. So yeah, there's, there's at least two reasons to, um, to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's really beneficial for you to have that team around you. And, and I think it illustrates how important it is, uh, especially when you're doing some of these FKTs that are just so long. You know, I, I like to call the last 10K of the marathon, the Wild West, you never know what might happen. But when you're running 100 miles, 200 miles or beyond, it really is, you know, multiple days of running and, and so many things can you know, small issues can then be magnified and become, uh, can become problematic over time when you're running for 30, 40 hours. So I'm really glad that you had those experienced people around you who are able to kind of notice some of those signs and, you know, steer you to safety. But hey, at the end of the day, you still got the record. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you must be still be pretty happy. Yes. Well, it was interesting in the last few hours. I'd really kind of forgotten what we were doing and, and really didn't care that much about it whereas you know leading up to that every half hour i've been asking my paces or checking my own schedule like how are we doing against the record you know what's the time how are we doing are we still two hours up you know i you know i was really focused on it for quite a long time the last few hours i really didn't care and, and two people in my crew were really quite took me you know almost took me to the side and said dude you're throwing this away you've got to you've got to move well because i was just really slow and weak um and didn't care falling over um two of them i remember it quite fairly clearly now like really taking me aside and saying, dude, you you know, let's get this done, you know, because it's slipping away. Um, and then thankfully, yeah, thankfully, I guess the whole point was I built a buffer in case things went wrong and things went wrong and the buffer just about worked. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it turned out all right. And then I've got a lesson to share as well. So yeah. Well, I do want to talk about your career, Damien, because I just find it so fascinating. You ran your first half marathon, your first half marathon in 2011. And since then, you've represented Great Britain. You've run ultras in the Sahara Desert, the Arctic. Last year, you set the record or FKT on a 260-mile route in the UK. Um, so would you say that when you started running, you, you ended up liking it a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I joke that it coincided with a midlife crisis. I think I was 35 or 36 when I did that first half marathon. Um, but I just straight away thought, this is this is fun. Like, this is and satisfying, you know, and just the idea of just pushing a bit harder, you know, not knowing if you could do the distance, pushing a bit harder, you know, working hard, hurting a little bit, but but hopefully not massively, and, and, and then coming through it and achieving something you didn't know you could do. And that was really satisfying. But then I was straight away upping the distances, you know, marathon, ultra marathon. Um, and yeah, just fascinated in this sport, you know, hunting for podcasts. And back, you know, it's not exactly a different generation, but eight or nine years ago, there, there weren't many resources, actually. There are lots of books now and lots of podcasts. Um, 
and and then I I think I found one podcast and you know one or two books. Um, luckily, I found I did luck luck out and found a find a local group called the uh, the Bath Bats, um, who took me under their wing um, and and started telling me about it. There was a guy there who had done sort of Hard Rock and Leadville and some of the big US races um, and all the big fell running rounds over here. Uh, that's Tim Laney, who was who was in my crew on the coast to coast. Um, so I was, yeah, had my head full of ideas, and um, yeah, just loved it. Just loved the atmosphere, the the, the community, the camaraderie, uh, the scenery, and, and and still do, I suppose. Yeah, you did say that your first half marathon was life changing. I think I read an interview where where you had said that. Is that why it was life changing? That you were introduced to the running community and also just this you know, this general idea of, of pushing yourself a little bit harder, maybe a little bit longer. And that was something that really spoke to you? Yeah, if I'm honest, I think the community thing came a little bit later in that that first race um, had a lovely atmosphere, but I didn't really know any other runners. Uh, I didn't even know any other races. So I should, it did take me another year to, until I did my first marathon. But by then, yeah, you, you start to meet a few runners and, and, and then you start to get the idea that you could run on trails. Um, I don't know what it's like over there in comparison, but like certain types types of the country, I don't know if you've heard of fell running, but that's kind of in the north here, like, and I live in the south. So the idea that you might run up and, up and down mountains or, or or in mountains or even in hills, really, is still like not a secret, but a bit of an underground movement still. I'd, I'd say that's just just changing in the last few years. But but like even when I did road races, it didn't occur to me you could you could run on hills, uh, run in the forests, really. So it probably took another year or so, but when I discovered that, you know that that was um, that was a big moment. And then yeah, you start to meet other people and and this wonderful wonderful community we have, I guess globally as well. You know when you go to the big international races and and um, and so on, uh, and it's online as well, isn't it? There's there's a very supportive online community, I think as well. For sure. I mean, here we are right now. Um, <laughs> now, Damien, what made you want to go from running your first half marathon to? you know, fairly quickly, relatively quickly, getting up in distance and eventually doing some ultra marathon distances and, you know, really ultimately going be beyond that. You know, I think most ultra distances formally are up to 100 miles. You know, I think the 200 mile distance is, is getting a little bit more popular these days, but you have done some substantially long efforts. What was the draw for you going from you know, kind of the average half marathon. A lot of our listeners have done a half. I don't think a lot of our listeners have done 260 mile FKT attempts. So <laughs> what what was the reason for that uh, bridge going towards those longer efforts? I guess I was just intrigued. Um, you do your first half and, and, and then, and then I think it's, you know, a fair amount of people think, well, okay, if I could run that far, could I run a marathon or, or, or at least longer? And, and I suppose each time, for me, yeah, I was key. I was quite interested in PBs back then, but but I was more interested in okay, I've covered that distance. Could I go a bit further? Um, and actually, it was a manga. I used to be a, a, I guess I'm still a journalist, but that used to be my main my main job was a journalist, and I was sort of sent by a magazine to do my first ultra marathon. So that was almost a happy accident. Um, and I did get. I remember I, I phoned up an expert to get some sort of um, you know training advice for that, and I remember him saying, "You just go a bit slower than your marathon pace." And you keep putting the calories in and you can sort of just go and go indefinitely. Um, and, and, then, and then he said he'd done 10 hundred mile races. And I just, as soon as he said that, well, I, I was like, why would you ever want to do that? I'm not going to do that. that. That's crazy. But then I did my first ultra and you just got these bigger distances in your mind. And, and I just, yeah, the first one was, um, I think, 69 miles over two days. Uh, and then I was doing, soon doing my first 100K. And then, of course, the big, you know, the 100 miles, that's, that's in your mind. Um, and just the same feeling when you finish just this huge euphoria, you know, always a bit of a struggle. There's always a bit of a crisis, um, you know, some ups and downs, this huge emo emotional roller coaster. nearly always some wonderful moments shared with other people as well, whether it's the crew or other runners or, or um, or people supporting the race. Um, and just this huge, you know, euphoria afterwards that could last a week or so. And as soon as it goes, you need another one, uh, you need another hit. Um, and yeah, I was just curious. I went all the way up to, I did the spine race twice, which is, yeah, 268 miles. And then the longest run I've done is, we have another trail here called the Southwest Coast Path, which is 630 
miles. Um, so that was a sort of 11 day run. Uh, now I did, I did stop and sleep every night there, but not for long, but yeah, I guess that just showed me really, you can keep going for as long as you want to. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just love it. And, and it is, you know, I, I, I'm clearly not the only one cause it does seem to really booming for now. I mean, maybe if I was younger, when I got into this, I'd be more interested in being my, you know, being my fastest, but I'm, I'm 45 now. I'm probably not going to get, you know, my PBs probably aren't going to get much better you know um so i don't know distance i guess adventure adventure is the word i think i wanted adventures i suppose and these are fairly usually with with the exception of the scenario i just described from the other week usually they're you know pretty safe really um especially in the context of a race so they're just kind of safe adventures i think that's what i like about them you know i've always thought that personal curiosity is perhaps one of the best motivators for any runner because if you are curious how fast you could run a 5k or curious about how long you might be able to run, then you're going to have to scratch that itch. And if that personal curiosity is strong enough, it is going to drive you to do the training, to register for the big races and really do everything that you can to hopefully accomplish whatever goal that you have, whether it's certain amount of speed in a certain race, or maybe it's a distance in, in another type of race. But I think that personal curiosity can just be so powerful. And if you can harness it, then you're going to do good things as a runner. Yeah. And I also like the line. Um, well, often it was about, you'd have this moment where, you know, for example, the 100 mile distance, my instinct, probably like most people is like, I couldn't do that. And, and almost like, why would you want to do that? Like, but then it just kind of, the seed is there and it just kind of festers and and then you actually think well maybe i maybe i could and and there's not you know if you haven't got a good re you know a strong enough reason why you couldn't um then it just kind of yeah festers there and percolates and 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 i don't know you, you read you listen to a podcast and you read a book and, and you meet someone who's run 100 miles and uh it just to me it was just fascinating like just that concept of 100 miles um i don't know do you do you what sort of what's your favorite sort of distance? Well, I've actually never run an ultra marathon. I've attempted a 50k. I had to drop out with a knee injury about 17 or 18 miles in, which was kind of unfortunate. You know, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have chosen my first ultra to be a mountainous ultra here in Colorado with about seven or eight thousand feet of elevation gain. So probably not the best decision on my end. Uh, but, you know, I have a background as a track and cross-country runner in high school and college. So I've always been a little bit more drawn to the shorter, speedier stuff. And, you know, for me personally, I, I experienced that same type of curiosity, but it was on how fast I could be. I just wanted to know, what's the fastest mile I could run? What's the fastest 5K? What's the fastest half marathon or marathon? And it was just this internal drive for me to see how fast I could be. So it's a little bit different. You know, you were very interested in seeing how long you could go, whether or not you could complete these distances. But I think at its very fundamental, it is almost the same type of drive. It is an innate curiosity about your own abilities. And if a runner has that curiosity, then it's really going to propel them to stay committed, stay consistent, stay motivated, and, and really do the work that's required. Um, you know, Damien, you said something really interesting earlier. You, you said the word adventure. And, and I think that is such a great description of what you do. You are almost like an adventurer who uses running to accomplish all your big adventures. And, and I think that's just a, a fascinating way to uh, think about your career and the races that you're running and, and, you know, even some of them aren't even really formal races. They're, they're what, am I, what I might call adventures. And, and I think that is uh, just a, a really inspiring way to go about your running too, because it, it's so different than how I approached my running from, you know, a speed perspective. I'm a track guy. I could stay on the track all day talking about splits and things like that. Whereas a lot of people, you know, they want to go run in the woods or go climb a mountain. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, yeah. uh, yeah. I just think it's, is so powerful for runners. Yeah, no, it's interesting, and I do love the quote um, Anne Trayson, who 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 did very well at the Western, you know, Western States back in the day. She said running a hundred miles is like living a year in in one day, um, and and I think 
part of it's that to me because it's an adventure but almost almost an emotional adventure like you go through just so many emotions so many ups and downs um and sometimes i've gone back to races like utmb i've done it four times so so really it is less and less of an adventure each time because i already know the terrain you know i know some of what's in store for me or have some good ideas at least but you still get those that those crazy ups and downs the, you know the fear and anxiety at the start you know the, the 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 doubts the you know the feeling disappointed with how you're doing and then coming back to life and so on and the euphoric finish hopefully and just um you just go through so much um and i do quite like that although i've done longer stuff you know a 100 mile race is is reasonably often roughly a day and a night um and i quite like that in that you know you're going to be in fairly good shape for a fair amount of it and then it's also going to be <laughs> and then it's also going to t- test your mental resolve a lot as well without you know without absolutely wrecking you because you know multi-day things or at least single stage multi-day things you know can really wipe you out for a while um but a hundred mile race there's something special about that and just yeah it's a personal adventure an emotional adventure um an adventure you can share with others as well so it's um yeah i like i like that sort of stuff but track's okay too i'm just not that good at it (laughs) (laughs) i've always thought that racing was almost like a perfect microcosm of life itself. And, you know, it's very similar. You could compare a 100-mile race to a single mile, and there's going to be ups and downs. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have the same anxiety at the beginning. It's just way more compressed. And I've found that the longer you race, the more uh, decompressed it gets. And you really have more emotional turbulence and longer periods of time when you're feeling good, time when you're feeling bad, you might have more lows, more obstacles in your path that you have to overcome to get to the finish line. But that's one of the reasons why I've loved running. It's just such a a great metaphor for life. And if you can overcome all the struggles that you're going to experience in a race, and of course, through training itself, I think that's just leaves you so much more well suited to life itself. Uh, now, Damien, I did want to talk a little bit about your training because I, I think someone like you is just so interesting because you've, you've kind of gone from, you know, starting to run a little bit later in life. You started with the half marathon and now you're running distances that, you know, almost very, very few people are, are ever going to run. How do you think about progressing your mileage and your race distances? Now, obviously you didn't go from couch to 260 mile FKT attempt. (laughs) But, you know, it seemed from the outside observer that within just a few years, you were running long ultras. And, you know, you certainly didn't go from 5k to a 10k to a half marathon, and then a marathon, you kind of jumped right in fairly quickly compared to the average person. Yeah, um, I think that was a combination of sort of uh, naivety and and ignorance. um, And and also some of these had to be um so so most of these would be magazine stories and i and i sort of you know i had to I had to give the magazine editor a compelling a compelling idea you know a compelling race or challenge and i knew that and also once you've run a marathon they're not interested in you doing a story about a half marathon because there's not enough jeopardy there you know so it that i do think that looking back that that sort of propelled me up the distances so i think yeah was a yeah, hundred miler was my fourth race. Yeah, like fourth ultra marathon, and then I did the spine race as my fifth one. So yeah, I did jump up more rapidly than people might, and some of it was that, and some of it was just this curiosity again, I suppose. Um, and I mean, I do like that sort of. I can't think of a good neat quote for it, but just that idea that in a way you're never truly ready for something. So, so in a way, why not? <laughs> why not just give it a go? Um, and then if it, and then I. I guess a lot of it just suited me. I just loved it. I loved the battle, you know, the, the, like you hinted just then of, you know, you're up against some, you know, a challenge, a challenge, some resistance you're up against. It, it's difficult. And if you overcome that, um, you know, that's a great feeling. Um, there was a good chance I couldn't do this and I did. And, and there was a moment where I didn't want to carry on, but I did. And that, that's brilliant, you know, and I'm, I think I'm a more, uh, I've got a more sense of, I don't know, self-worth or self-esteem from from doing that a few times um and i think that's a valuable little thing to learn and i think you can sort of yeah take that take that into everyday life as well and I, i'm definitely not the only one who sort of thinks that and says that but um 
Yeah, I mean, and that's what running such a magnificent sport, isn't it? As well as that simplicity, you can pretty much do it anytime, anywhere. As long as you know, pretty much you would need your running shoes, although one or two people who don't even wear running shoes. Um, and you can do, you know, so many different distances or styles or, or, or terrains. Um, there's almost some, you know, there is something for everyone, I think. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm as much in love with it as, as I was, yeah, eight or nine years ago. And I think that is so, is such a big ingredient to your success is you just like doing it. And, and it sounds like you have this innate curiosity about whether or not you can run some of these distances. And then, of course, you had some professional pr- pressure on yourself to, you know, put yourself in these positions and, and write a good story about it. Would you say that you're unafraid to fail? Because a lot of people might never even register for these races because they don't know if they're ready. And and you just said one of the great things is, well, you never really know if you're ready. So you kind of just have to dive in, give it a go and see what happens. Is is that a mindset shift that you've developed over the years? Or would you say that you're always someone who's willing to take on some big challenge or or big effort like that without knowing whether or not you're going to succeed? I think when it comes to stuff, yeah, like physical stuff in the outdoors, I think I've always been a bit like that in that yeah, I've done a little bit of mountaineering, but nothing, you know, mostly guided, nothing, nothing, nothing impressive by any means. Um, and I really love the long distance trekking. Um, but like other stuff in real life scares me, like, um, I don't know, public speaking terrified me for many years. Um, I do do a bit now, but I almost think I've got the confidence for that from uh, from the running. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I feel lucky that my parents brought me up. They weren't sporty, but they were very outdoorsy. So we did a lot of camping, a lot of hiking. Um, and I think that just made me I just always felt happy and comfortable in, you know, in woods, in on rivers, um, you know, nothing extreme. But it was just natural to me to be outdoors, climbing trees, playing on rocks. Um, I feel very grateful of that now. Uh I can see now that not everyone, you know, not everyone was brought up like that. And, and of course, you when you're little, you just think everyone is. And then you realize that, you know, they don't, um, they weren't necessarily. So I think that was big, big for me. That was very formative. And it meant just outdoor stuff is always exciting. I also remember, like, I suppose the stories I was read as a kid. Um, I don't know if these you would know about these over there, but like, I don't know, Robin Hood and, and King Arthur um, and Lord of the Rings. I loved um you know, and they were nearly all had some endurance element, some huge task, you know, against the odds task that, that had to be done, that, to, you know, uh, you know, that would take many weeks or months. Um, and they, and also as a, as a sort of young adult, I did get very into, again, I'm not sure how well known this is in America, but sort of the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. So sort of Captain Robert Scott and Shackleton and stuff down at the South Pole, um, and again, it was, you know, huge feats of endurance, traveling for many days in, in great hardship. Something about that, um, I don't know, triggered something in my in my mind that, that I'm excited by those stories. Maybe everyone is, or, or maybe everyone in running or ultra running is. I, I, I don't know. I'd need to do a quick, quick poll on Twitter or something. But certainly those ideas stayed with me, I think, so that when those ideas pop up as almost, you could do something a bit like that. And, and don't get me wrong, running, running across... England isn't anything like running across Antarctica or traveling across Antarctica, but you know, it's a little, a smaller version of it. It's a little adventure, a little bit similar. Um, but yeah, when I look back now and look at my childhood, I can see that, you know, some of the seeds were planted, I suppose. Yeah. And that probably gave you just a a good perspective on adventure, on endurance, on the outdoors. And so as you got older, you you kind of saw yourself in some of those same contexts. So I, I can certainly see how that was very formative for you. And, and just led you to have this mindset that I too can have these grand adventures outside. And, and I think that's just great. Damien, can we talk a little bit about some of the longest runs that you've ever done? I, I know that, you know, you've done the uh, 260 mile uh, uh, FKT in, in the UK. Uh, I, I forget the actual name of, of that route that you did. Can you remind me? The Pennine Way. Yes. And, and so, I mean, for a lot of people... The, the training or the preparation that goes into a challenge like this, about 260 miles, is just a complete black box. They, they don't really know what it entails. There's no training plans for these distances. It's just a complete mystery. Can you walk us through how you thought about preparing for this FKT? What did your training look like? How long did you spend training for it? 
And and what did you ever get to a point where you were confident that you would be able to finish, or were you just sort of hoping for the best uh, on the starting line? Well, I think people might be surprised by by the sort of training we we or I do. In that, I wouldn't say it's hugely different to marathon training. Um, I think it's easy to neglect kind of speed and remember how important that is. So. Admittedly, most weeks, I, I, you know, it's just one one workout, but but you know, a proper a proper workout. Um, I should credit my coach is is the American uh, su- uh, super coach uh, David Roach, who coaches a lot of the best ultra athletes. Um, and his idea is that we should be working on our running economy, you know, most of the time, and that we should never be really too far from our sort of ten k PB pace, you know. And that's actually quite different to how some ultra training is, is approached. Uh, um, I guess the temptation is to think I'm going to try and run hundred miles. I need to do lots and lots of long runs, but really, I mean, for a lot of people, that's just going to wear them out after a while. Um, and they're going to slow down and, and possibly get injured. Um, so yeah, da- working with David, I've worked for him about 18 months. I've had some other coaches and I've been self-coached as well. Um, yeah, he's very much about, you know, let's stay fast. Let's be fast so we can move over the terrain. Well, so your easy pace is a faster pace. Um, then yes, we do bring in some longer runs, but again, it's not it's not crazy long. Um, so my longest runs for 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 say coast to coast and the Pennine Way, I did have a weekend where I think it was twenty five miles with a tempo section in, and then it was twenty miles the next day, and then I think there was a third day which was maybe twelve or fourteen miles, but that was the absolute peak of it, and there wasn't much of that. Like we only do that once. Um, a lot a lot of the rest of the time mileage would be between about sort of 65 and 75 miles a week um so that's certainly less than than the sort of you know the people winning utmb maybe or or you know obviously a road a professional road uh marathon runner would do um and i guess my age comes into it too i am i am 45 now so it probably is sensible to do a little a little less um but yeah speed's important economy's important um and then we only really get sort of specific and bring in those longer runs, maybe occasionally back-to-back runs in, in the maybe six weeks before the big challenge. Now, now that is based on me being quite experienced, I suppose, and having done several long runs. You know, if someone had never run more than a marathon and they were going to try and run 185 miles, yeah, the smarter approach would be to put a couple of B races or B challenges in there where you might run 50, I suppose, or, or maybe 100 Um but yeah, they're, they're exhausting efforts and, and then they sort of need to be respected with some recovery. Um, so I would say, yeah, David's got a really smart approach um, to that, I think. And, and I coach people as well. And I definitely see when I take people on, they, they're used to doing, you know, huge, huge slow mileage, which, which you know, at certain times of the year might, might be useful, but year round is, is probably just going to slow someone down and wear them out. Um, and David's got this great line about how, you know, fatigue and feeling knackered isn't isn't validation of good training you know you don't just knack yourself self out every day we he actually wants you to feel good every day or, or or as often as possible um so i think that's important i think that's important yeah yeah i think one of the hardest questions to answer when you're preparing for these sorts of challenges is how do you know when you're ready because you know you're not exactly going to run a 150 or 200 mile tune-up race a month out from your goal race, that, that's not exactly the smartest approach. So, you know, at, at what point do you ever say, okay, I'm ready? Is it is it after, you know, one of those big, more specific weekends where you might be running, you know, maybe 60 miles over the course of three days? Or is it a certain tune-up race performance? What is the, the metric or two that gives you the confidence to, to line up on the starting line for something like this? Yeah, that is a great question. And and I think that's where that's where sort of your road running or, or track running is a bit different because you've got those clearer you've got those clearer measurements, I think. And and sometimes when I'm coaching people and yeah, someone's come from that sort of background, they're like, Yeah, but how yeah, they ask that same question, how do I know when I'm ready? Or or what are the what's the benchmark um kind of, you know, the signature session I can do to make sure I'm ready. Um and I suppose it I guess I would almost go back to what that guy told me um, many years ago, which was like, if you go slower than your marathon pace and keep getting the calories in, then then kind of you can keep going as long as you kind of want to. So I would say the third thing to think of is is your motivation. So what, you know, what is your why? What's motivating you to do this? 
Um, and it's worth thinking about. And even if it is, you know, a humble brag on Facebook, um, you know, and I'm not immune from, you know, I'll put it on social media. Um, you know, that's all right. Just just realize what your motivation is and, and cling to it, because when it gets difficult, that's when you go, I'm doing it for this reason. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is over time, when you when you experience this like me, you almost know that it's it's kind of well in a way in a way it's easier than you think like i know if i'm relatively fit you know most things are most things are possible if if i execute it um you know if i keep getting the calories in and don't and don't go too hard too early um most things are, are sort of possible i suppose it gets harder when you put a real strict deadline on when you go for a record i suppose that's when yes you know how fast was my 20 mile run with a certain amount of vert perhaps you know, how well did that go? How well did I recover afterwards? Um, but it's still a little bit not quite the same as preparing for a marathon, but I guess experience comes into it. Um, but yeah, I appreciate it's a bit, a bit, a little bit vaguer. Um, but I suppose experience teaches you that, um, yeah, again, if you, if you, if you're motivated, it's, if, if you're excited by the challenge and, and you've got strong reasons, um, then, then most things are possible, I, I think. Right. It seems like experience is such a huge component to this. And, you know, you were talking about someone who might come from a track background. I felt like you were talking directly to me because, you know, we answer this same question, not for how far you can run, but for how fast you can run. And so we're always looking at comparable race performances in other distances to kind of get an idea of what you'll probably run in this new race distance. But then when you're going into these longer events and you can't really run tune-up races and it might be your first time at the distance and more can go wrong. I, I think there's that element of relying more on your experience, relying more on your intuitive sense of how you feel and what you think you're capable of and your internal motivations. It's just such a fascinating look inside a side of the sport that I admittedly don't really have much experience with, but I find endlessly fascinating. And it's something that I just love talking about because it, it's just a side of the sport that I don't know very well. And, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. I've got, I realized I missed out something there actually. So when, when I did some of my long key runs in the, in the, in the sort of peak of my training, I, I could go up to, to the route and run on the route. And I knew what the record sort of not this well I sort of knew the splits I knew I knew what pace I needed to move at so I could for my for two of my long runs I could I ran on the course and I knew roughly what pace I needed to to maintain so that isn't quite as accurate I would say as you know preparing for a road marathon but that that was that's helpful that was a good pointer and you come away thinking okay I was okay at that pace of course you still don't know if you're going to be at that, okay at that pace after 160 miles um but you can at least get the idea that it's possible, I suppose. So that that was helpful. Um, those little ones. I forgot to mention that. That's probably yeah. That probably answers your question a bit better. Yeah, I think that specific prep is helpful uh, for at least at the minimum to give you the confidence that you know the course, you know what the terrain is like, you understand what the pace is like on that specific terrain, and and you've gone out there, you've experienced it, you know what it feels like at a very subjective level, which I think is important too, when we're talking about these long distances. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Um, and I even have, you know, my marathoners, if they can, if they live near the race course that they're training for, let's get on the race course. You know, if you live in Boston, you want to run the Boston marathon, it's a very beneficial to go run Heartbreak Hill, go see what that's like. And that's going to give you a lot more confidence on race day. Now, Damien, I'd love to ask you about your life outside of running, because it does seem like you took a, a little bit of a hard left turn about a decade ago, transitioning from being mostly a journalist to more of a pro ultra runner, although you did just say that technically you're still a journalist. I'm curious, what effect did this new lifestyle have on your life? I'm sure other things changed when you started running ultras, going after these FKT records, and, and generally just becoming this amazing ultra runner. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think if I look back to sort of nine, 10 years ago, yeah, yeah, my lifestyle is very different. Um, I guess, yeah, I was a full, full-time full journalist and magazine journalist, but mostly mostly that was sub-editing. So I'd go into an office, um, you know, and, and work a nine-to-five sort of shift and, and come home. And then maybe sometimes I'll be, I'll be writing up a story in the evening as well because um, I was freelance 
Um, so my life is like that. And if I'm honest, uh, you know, uh, I keep I keep believing the Internet is just a fad, but uh, apparently it seems to be sticking around. And it isn't, you know, it hasn't been great for the print media. So magazines and newspapers, I don't know what it's like over there, but I imagine it's similar that they are effectively in managed managed decline. So, you know, most of my work was in, yeah, in magazines and that, um, yeah, <laughs> the future for magazines isn't, might not be very rosy. Um, so there were, I wasn't looking for a way out because there were still plenty of magazines around and, and I do like magazines. Um, but as I got into this running stuff, um, I suppose I was doing more and more writing about the running and 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 ending up sub-editing on at least, you know, triathlon magazines and, and things that were, and, and running magazines, actually. So at least I was doing more and more on that subject. But over time, what happened was, um, well, as I started to get some some okay results at UTMB, other British runners who wanted to do well at UTMB started approaching me for coaching. And at first I said, I'm not, you know, I'm not a coach. I don't, you know, I, I don't have a qualification. I don't really know how to coach people. But one or two of them, thankfully, were quite persistent and sort of said, um, no, actually, you know, I don't, I don't care that <laughs> you're not a coach. I just want to know how you've trained for UTMB and how I can train. So I was like, okay, well, if, you know, if you'll bear with me a bit and, and let me learn a bit as I go. Um, and that just slowly grew and grew until I, until it was kind of a 50-50 split. And, you know, I'd, I'd start saying no to journalism work and, because uh, I had too much coaching on, and then and then last summer, yeah, I, I stopped. I sort of stopped all my regular journalism work. Um, I just did a story this week on the on the on my coast to coast run, but yeah, it's quite rare now that I do a story. Um, and I just, if I'm honest, I enjoy. I really enjoy the coaching. Um, so most of my yeah, my income. I've got a family to support. Um, is nearly all from coaching. Um, occasionally, I suppose giving talks, and I've just just written a book as well um, in it for the long run. Um, but yeah, mostly it's the coaching, which like you, I, I imagine, or you wouldn't be doing it. I, I, I just love it. It's fascinating getting to know different people, different motivations, different abilities, um, different goals, different races. Um, and you go through these ups and downs with them and, and you get to know them sometimes more than you, you know, anticipated, you know, because you get to know quite a lot about their lives sometimes. Um, not that that's a, a, pre, a prerequisite by any means, but um, I just find it fascinating working with working with people and I love it, um, really. So, yeah, it, things have changed a lot. And, and that is for a runner, that's a lot better lifestyle. And that, you know, I, I pick my own hours. Um, so it, you know, when my kids were very young, uh, you know, I'd have to go out running at five or six most mornings. Um, but I was a bit younger and, and that didn't, you know, I didn't, didn't seem to need the sleep so much, but nowadays that's, that's harder. And I'm a bit luckier. I can, I can sort of go out, you know, roughly when suits me. Um, so that's, that's, yeah. So I, I guess i work in, entirely from home and I can, yeah, pick and choose when I go running, which is, um, you can't ask for much more than that, I don't think. Yes, I, I admittedly have that luxury as well, and and it's quite nice to be able to to go running whenever whenever you'd like to. Uh, although now, because it's getting very hot here in the United States, I have to go running around nine a.m. after I drop my daughter off at her summer camp, and it was about eighty degrees already at that oh. point. So we're really struggling. Yikes. Uh, would you say it's easier to train now that you can set your own hours and run whenever you'd like and have that flexibility? Or are you someone that kind of thrives with a little bit more structure? Yeah, I, I did have a funny spell once where when I was a fairly new parent, I could only go. There'd be one or maybe two windows in a day to go out. You know, it was either six in the morning or eight o'clock at night. Uh, and it meant I was a lot more efficient then, actually, because because yeah, six o'clock, bang, alarm's gone off, out you go or you're not getting your run in. And then maybe about two years ago, there was a spell when, um, I don't know, I sort of had, a, well, I guess like now, I, I, in a way I had all day or all morning to run. And you can get in the trap maybe of, of checking your emails, answering some emails, doing this and that. Suddenly the time's ticking away and, and you've got, you know, you've almost run out of run time, which is, you know, the, as we know, the, the, the biggest disaster, the worst nightmare in the world. Um, but, but a bit like you, I have got into a ha you know a habit in the last year or so of yeah I, I do it I do it just after school uh, drop off actually that's that's I I am sort of a morning person but I don't I'm not I'm not desperate to get up at six o'clock um, but I'd rather go running in the morning uh, I just feel I don't know I like that feeling of being at your desk and you've had your run and and maybe there's a little bit of tiredness in your legs but you feel some euphoria and you're just you've got more energy haven't you and and um, I much prefer that to sort of running yeah running later on but but some people 
much prefer running later, and that's fine. But um, yeah, I'm a bit of a morning runner myself. Run in the morning, and you can just focus on eating the rest of the day. <laughs> now, do you ever yes. run twice a day? Do you ever uh, go out for an afternoon run too? Not often. Um, I must admit, this is one of the changes. Um, yeah, working with David Roach before I was with him, I was doing more volume, but it was probably kind of aimless and 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 fairly ineffective. Really, I was doing sort of. 80 90 miles a week most weeks and i and i, I did two, two or three doubles a week but there wasn't much structure to them um or any really much great thinking behind them other than i should do more volume you know um and now yeah occasionally there might be a a, a sort of 45 minute recovery run after a you know in the afternoon after a workout um once or twice a week um but it's pretty rare uh, or you know occasional optional optional sort of cross train again 45 minute to 60 minute sort of bike um or sometimes if we're getting something ready for something really specific you know really mountainous we might we've just talked actually about you know doing some treadmill hiking um because then we can kind of really control the, the sort of gradient and what he wants me to do um so we might do a bit of that but again that would be you know a short spell of a few weeks where maybe two two doubles two to three doubles a week of, of 30 45 minutes um so yeah not so much but Again, partly my, might be partly my age as well, I suppose, being 45. But then, and also I've had a big background of, of aerobic volume. So it's probably smarter for me to be working more on speed and economy now anyway, and, and, and strength. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not necessary, I think. And also people got to bear in mind the rest of their lifestyle. I think, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're getting up early, going for a run, then doing a busy, stressful job, maybe with commuting, come home to family, you know, if you're doing all that in a day and then you try and go running at eight o'clock at night as well, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't recommend that for most people. You've got to yeah, balance it with the rest of your life as well. Uh, sleep, sleep is good. Rest is good. <laughs> for sure. I, I remember when I was doubling two or three times a week, when I was doing my 80 to 90 miles a week peak training, it was when I didn't have children and I just had a lot more flexibility in, in my time because I didn't have as many responsibilities. And, and I can see how, you know, stress is stress. So the more you have it in your life, the more something has to give. And, and that's usually our running, especially those of us who aren't running professionally. Tell me, were, were you um, were you doing, were you running faster when you were doing those doubles or not? Uh, yes, I was running doubles. I started running doubles when I was in college and then kept on running doubles throughout my graduation in 2006 through when I ended up running my fastest marathon in 2011. So yeah, I had some of my really good longer distance performances in those years from 10 miles to the half marathon to the marathon. And I really liked the doubles either as, you know, a, a short, almost like a priming run before an afternoon workout. But, you know, I'm mostly a morning runner. So, you know, I would usually do my, my main priority run in the morning and then in the afternoon, I would typically go out for a four or five mile, just easy shakeout. And I, and I thought that really helped with economy. It helped with uh, working on my ability to use fuel uh, effectively and efficiently. Uh, and then also it just like gave me a lot of confidence, you know, just being able to, to say, hey, I ran 16 miles today on this random Tuesday or Wednesday. And, and that just made me feel like I was strong. And I was also 27 years old. I was recovering from that really well. I was feeling good. And, and it wasn't something that really made me overly fatigued or sore. So it was something that really worked for me. But, you know, I'm pushing 38 right now. And I don't know if I would be running the doubles that I used to be running. I think at my peak, I would do an 11 mile morning run with a workout and then seven miles in the evening. So it was a, it was a big day. It was very fatiguing. I didn't do that a lot. That was sort of like those treadmill hikes that you were talking about, maybe a couple weeks during peak training, but you're right. It was, it was something that I probably wouldn't be doing today. Okay. Interesting though. Interesting. Yeah. And I, re I reckon, well, I don't know, this isn't really based on anything, but I reckon there'll be times when that approach will work for people and times when it might not. And that might be age, that might be lifestyle, uh, it might be, might be where you are in your sort of running, running uh, journey, you know, whether, whether, whether how many years you've been running. So I think I, yeah, my hunch, I don't know what you think would be. Yeah. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it won't. Um, yeah. It's an interesting, interesting concept though, isn't it? 
Yeah, I do agree with that. And and I think for me personally, at least in this example, I had all those things going for me at the time. I was young. I had the motivation and drive. It worked with my schedule and my lifestyle at the time. So I had all that going for me. But certainly, if you have a bunch of other stuff going on in your life, it's just going to be much more challenging. Um, Damien, this was so fun. I just had a blast learning about your training, your career, how you think about your training is just really interesting. And you just made me want to go out for a long adventure run. Uh, I know our listeners probably feel the same. So I know that you've written a book recently. Can you talk to us a little bit about the book and then also where we might be able to find you online if folks want to follow along with some of your training or, or races that you might be doing in the future? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I, um, a publisher approached me last year, and and they just wanted to, you know, a, 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 it was a, a local independent publisher in Britain. They just wanted to bring out some running books, and, and they, they were interested in in sort of my my story, I suppose. Um, so so I got it finished just after Christmas, called uh, and it's called um, In It for the Long Run. It only came out, I think, last maybe last month. Um, the best way it is on Amazon or it's just the same price from directly from the publisher who are called vertebrate publishing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very boring. It's even more boring than I've been on, on this podcast. Uh, it's got some terrible jokes in it. Um, but, um, yeah, if anyone wanted to buy it, that would be lovely. But, um, in terms of, yeah, I'm on most of the social media things. I'm probably easy to find. Uh, if my name is taken, I'm usually uh, like ultra underscore demo, I think, which is what I am on Instagram, which is probably my favorite uh, favorite of the platforms. Um, so, yeah, by all means, come and say hello there in terms of what I'm doing next. Um, I do have a place at UTMB again, which is in our in our sort of scene. That's the big one. That's the biggest race of the year. That's that's hoping hoping it'll take place in late late August. But I think what will happen is it, it will take place, but it will really depend which country you're in and what, what the, you know, the sort of pandemic situation is there as to whether we can go or not. So don't really know if I can go or not. But um, if, if I can, I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'll be bashing myself up and down a bit, up and down the mountains there. Um, and yeah, by all means, by all means, follow along. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Will do. I'm going to include links to your book, your social media handles, and your website in the show notes for this episode on the Strength Running site. Damien, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Thank you ever so much for having me on and yeah, happy running. And there it is, everyone. Damien was so generous with his time and I absolutely loved hearing about his training and the preparation and the mindset that allows him to finish such long, grueling runs. Don't miss his new book, In It for the Long Run, which is now available everywhere. Lastly, but certainly not least, our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is here for you this summer. If you have a high sweat rate, or if you're like me and you have very salty sweat, it's important to dial in your hydration. Elemental Labs is offering a free sample pack with four flavors and eight electrolyte packets at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. You only have to pay for shipping, which is only $5 here in the U.S. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, or artificial colors. You guys know I'm partial to the citrus flavor, which I honestly can't get enough of. I probably have one five times a week. Now, I mentioned before that it was my beverage of choice after long, hot rides on my bike here in the front range. It's tasty, it's delicious, and it's something that I really enjoy whenever I do any substantial training, anything that's longer than about 45 minutes. And for you, for those athletes running maybe five or more days per week, maybe you're training for a longer event like the half marathon or longer, or if you're somewhere where it's summer right now, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm certainly encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and pro athletes have all started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You can try their sample pack and get your hydration optimized for the upcoming summer season. They also have two new flavors, 
watermelon salt, and grapefruit salt, both of which are in my top five. They're delicious, and I hope you guys get to try them. All right, that's our show today. If you've been enjoying this podcast and want to pay it forward, a review in Apple Music is always appreciated. We'll be in touch soon.